Well, good morning, everybody. As you guys can tell, I am not the normal person who's up here. Um, that's because our staff and board is at a retreat um, this weekend, just kind of doing some vision planning and just getting ready for what's to come this fall. Um, and they're just super excited for all the stuff that they get to do here. Um, so that's why I'm up here. If you don't know me, my name is Cameron Huguenin. Um, and I'm just here visiting for a couple weeks from Haiti. Um, but it's so cool to get to come back and just be with my second family. So I have just a couple of things for us uh, this morning. So let me just go through them. Um, the first thing we have is life groups. And those are starting up the week of October 1st, depending on what day your group meets. Um, and the way for you to get involved if you are not already um, is to fill out your Connect card that's on your seat. Or if you go online to brookviewchurch.com, you can find a Connect card there. Um, that's a great way to do it as well. Um, for me, I've been a part of one of the online groups um, for the past two and a half, three years. And it's just been such a cool lifeline for me to be able to connect in a regular way um, with people centered around Christ um, and just check in on life and stuff. So that's really cool. Let's see. The other thing that I just talked about is that Connect card. Like I said, um, it's on the website. It's at your chair there. Um, and we just love hearing from you, whether it's signing up for that, prayer requests, any of the things. It's just a, a great way to connect with us. Um, that's super cool. So that's kind of all I have for announcements. Um, this morning we have Bryce McFadden with us. And we're so, yeah, give him a big hand. Um, it's so cool to have someone that comes here regularly and gets to be a part of our family and knows us well. Um, and so I'm just going to pray for him as he comes up. Um, yeah, so here we go. God, thank you for this morning. Um, I pray that we're able to just kind of check whatever was going on this morning or this week at the door, um, that our eyes and ears would just be open to you and to your heart and the message you have for us, uh, prepared for it by Bryce. Thank you for how you show up and love us well. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Cameron. It's so fun being here. You guys are wonderful. Um, just uh, And it's great to see Cameron, too. Um, I had it on the right weekend, so very good. He's just here for a couple weeks. And um, I, I just like Cameron did, he referred to you as his second family, and I refer to you as the same. You're my second family, and uh, it's always good, always good to be here. Um, I love that last song in worship as Alex was leading there, um, making room. Isn't it amazing? We can meet together for 20, 30, well, it depends how long the pastor preaches, 40, 50, but for a few short minutes, and in those minutes, God can do something significant in our hearts. It's amazing. Uh, I never cease to be amazed at the work of God and how he uses his word to challenge us and to change us. And um, I'm trusting him for that today, for all of us. And uh, I put myself in the message here today, okay? So anything I say to you, I've had to say to myself first. So just know that. And um, I, I want to remind us today of our mission as the church. 
Now, I don't have any secret intel that Pastor Jason gave me to say, you know, Brookview's going off course, would you preach on this? He didn't tell me what to say, okay? And uh, I know, just as Cameron shared, they're away with the leadership team on this weekend really seeking God for uh, the vision to fulfill the mission that God has called Brookview to complete here in this area. And uh, it's not done yet. God has so much more he wants to do. And so they are listening to the Spirit this weekend. They're praying together and they're planning and uh, trusting in the leading of God's Spirit for the church here. So as I talk about keeping on mission, I think this, um, I, I counted one time how the potential hours of sermons I've probably heard over my life. My dad was a pastor. And I not only went to church, and back then it was Sunday morning and Sunday night and Wednesday nights and every church camp, you know, I was there. And we're talking a lot of hours of sermons. I heard a pastor say this once. He said, you know, if I just followed the things that I already knew, I'd be doing really well in my Christian life. Um, I think that might be true of most of us. We've uh, been educated far beyond our obedience. Well, let me just put it personally. I think I'm educated far beyond my level of obedience, but I need reminders. And it's amazing in the Bible how many times God brings reminders to us, and I'm actually bringing a reminder to you today as we talk about keeping on mission. And I thought this, maybe I can start with a business model. How many maybe have a, a degree in business? Okay, a few of you guys do. Um, how many have taken business classes? Okay, a few more. Um, ever take a class called project management? Yeah, awesome class. I don't know why they didn't teach it to us in Bible college, uh, to be honest with you, because in ministry, you're involved in project after project. But let me share some terms from the business model that I think fit well into the mission model in a church. So uh, in business, you have your stakeholders. Your stakeholders are any person that determines the success or failure of a project. Now, basically, you and I are called to a mission. In fact, if we're in God's family, we're involved in the family business, and you and I are stakeholders in the business. Uh, there's something in project management called a scope statement. It's a statement that keeps the key stakeholders all on the same page with a crystal clear mind for project success. Uh, in ministry, we might refer to this as our mission statement or our vision statement. There's something called duration, the amount of time that it is going to take to complete the project from start to finish. Well, when God calls us into a mission, it starts really when Christ left and gave us the mission as a church, and when will it be completed? Who knows? Do you know? Huh? When will the mission be completed? It's not a trick question. <laughs> that's, that's what you're thinking. Oh, he's tricking me. When he returns, right? Yeah, the mission's going to be done. It's going to be completed. So duration, you have something, though, in the midst of fulfilling the, the vision or the mission or the scope, something can happen along the way that begins to actually turn you a slight bit off course. 
Uh, in business, they would call it scope creep. Yeah, you, you remember that term. Um, it's where other things can begin to become a part of that, and pretty soon you've lost focus on your central mission. Now, another word for it might be called mission drift. Mission drift. We begin to go off course, and often it can begin with just little things, but we begin to depart from our mission and it never happens typically all at once. It happens over a period of time and just in small ways. Uh, I think last time I was preaching here, I was doing a remodel in my first bathroom in my home. Now I'm on the second bathroom. So, uh, and, and the first bathroom's actually all working, which is a cool thing. Um, but I've been tiling, I, I, I'm a tile guy, I like tile, and so I've been tiling around the tub. So in the second bathroom, um, I've noticed this when it comes to tiling, your first row of tile is most critical. You get that off and you are going to be way off. In fact, I can start in the corner by the bathtub and if I'm just a slight bit off on the left side, by the time I get to the right side, I am way off. I might be just a minimal amount off over here, but I'm way off over here. Actually, on this job, I, I uh, had made a line that I thought was level. And I kept, I kept looking at it, and I'm thinking, something's not right here. And I put the level up to it, and I was off. I'm so thankful I didn't have to rip tiles off the wall. I caught it early enough. But the thing is, Sometimes if you're a little bit off over a period of time, you could be way off. Another illustration might be is if you want to take a flight from San Francisco to Los Angeles, it's 381 miles. But let's say that your pilot is one degree off course. You know how far off course you're going to be by the time you get into uh, LA? Six miles. <laughs> Six miles off course. One degree in San Francisco six miles off in Los Angeles. Big consequences, right? Well, I'm gonna talk about staying on mission today and I wanna speak from Acts chapter one, verses six through 11. And I wanna share four reminders to help keep us on mission. Now, when you come to the book of Acts, and we'll spend time in Acts one today, the book of Acts is just more than a, a history lesson of the early church. Uh, the author of Acts was Dr. Luke. Um, he, you might say that Luke had a two-volume work because he not only wrote the Gospel of Luke, and yes, he was a doctor, hence he has more of an elaborate uh, rendition of the birth of Jesus, a doctor's viewpoint, very good. Volume one, he shares in the Gospel of Luke all that Jesus began to do and teach, and then we get to volume two, the book of Acts, all that Jesus continued to do and teach through the apostles under the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. And really, the book of Acts is simply a continuing narrative of the work of God, the ongoing story of God, and the spreading of the gospel. And that work continues today. In the context of chapter one, Jesus has risen from the dead he has shown proof of his resurrection over a 40-day period to at least 500 people. That's a pretty significant amount of evidence that Jesus is truly well and alive and has risen from the dead. 
But in Acts 1.5, Jesus reminds his followers to wait in Jerusalem for the baptism of the Spirit that they are to receive. Now, did they really understand everything that he was talking about? I kind of doubt it. I kind of doubt it. But they knew something good was going to happen because he had been talking about it for quite some time. They did understand what it meant to wait in Jerusalem, and that's what they were doing, waiting and expecting. So let's pick up the story in Acts 1, verse 6, and it says this. So when they met together, meaning Jesus and his disciples, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? Now, that was a common expectation of, and hope of the Jewish nation. Traces all the way back to the promises God made with Abraham. It was reinforced through the prophets, and uh, particularly the prophet Isaiah, as he talks about the coming Messiah and the eternal kingdom. Um, the, the belief was that a Messiah would appear to deliver the nation. God would establish the rule and reign with his people Israel. They'd be freed from their enemies in this context particularly Rome, because they were oppressing uh, the Jewish nation. He would raise them to a place of power, political freedom and peace. This was on the hearts and minds of the Jewish nation. It wasn't the first time that there was uh, a display among the disciples of this particular expectation. I think back to Mark chapter 9, the disciples were embroiled in this very heated uh, debate an argument among themselves as to who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom. Uh, and Jesus knows what they're thinking. He addresses that. But really, in substance, by asking the question to Jesus, Lord, at this time, are you going to restore the kingdom of Israel? In essence, they might be saying, Lord, we appreciate what you've done on the cross and the resurrection, what you've been saying about the kingdom and about power. But is it going to move toward our perceived agenda? We became your disciples knowing that you're from God. We thought you were going to restore the kingdom to Israel. Now we're a little bit reluctant to press you on the matter, but are you going to do it or not? It seems like right now would be the time for you to bring it all in and make it happen. Jesus' response is a little bit interesting. He cuts this conversation a bit short. In verse 7, he says, it's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. It's not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set. The disciples think they've raised a pretty good question, a national question, and Jesus shuts them down. He doesn't chase the rabbit trail. In short, he says, it's none of your business. In fact, it's the Father's business. And it's interesting in that statement, he uses two Greek words for time different words, chronos and kairos. Um, there is a difference between the two. Chronos would determine a space of time. Jesus said in the Gospels, uh, four months in, until the harvest. There's chronos, a duration of time. Kairos would be that moment or point in time, the harvest. You might say it this way. Um, let's say you're going to college to get a degree. Uh, I squeezed a four-year program into five. So brilliant. So brilliant. <laughs> That's chronos. That takes a while. But then there came the day of graduation. That's kairos. What is Jesus really saying? He's saying when it comes to time, 
that's under the control of God, whether it be a duration of time or whether it be a specific event, that's God's business. I can say sometimes God doesn't operate within my time. You ever find that to be true? He's Lord of time. Sometimes I don't think he operates fast enough because when I, when I want something, I want it right now. <laughs> it's a reminder to me that God has a timing for everything and he's Lord over time. Here's the first reminder I want to help us out with here to keep us on mission. Know that it's easy to have personal priorities that are not God's priorities. Know that it's easy to have personal priorities that are not God's priorities. We may not be praying about God restoring the kingdom of Israel, but we might be praying about other things. And sometimes those priorities to us are not the priorities God has for us. I think of this, uh, maybe you're going through a hard time and it's really common to pray, God, take this away from me. Just rescue me out of this mess. Um, God might have another plan. It might actually sound a bit like James. Count it all joy when you face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance and perseverance. And it goes on to talk about all the, the character that comes out of facing our problems, not getting rescued from our problems. It's interesting, I remember one of my early trips to Russia and the believers there said, we've noticed something about you guys as Americans. You know, when you pray, you ask God to take you out of your problems and when we pray, we ask God to take us through. Interesting. You know, we want the immediate rescue. That's our priority, but it's not necessarily God's priority because something happens during the test. And God wastes nothing that we face in life. God wants his priorities to be our, prior, our priorities as well. And we really get to what I would call a mission statement or a scope statement in Acts 1 verse 8. Listen to this. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Here's my second point. Our mission as witnesses is still God's primary priority for the church. Now, it wasn't the first time the disciples had heard the commission. If you remember uh, what we refer to the great suggestion, just kidding. Some treat it as a suggestion. It's a command. Matthew 28 tells us to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. They had heard this before. Luke himself had echoed this very command in Luke 24, 47 to 49. He says, this is what's written. The Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all the nations. Beginning at Jerusalem, you're witnesses of these things. I am to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. So he repeats that command, the scope statement, the mission statement. And this is a commission for all believers. We give witness to the person of Christ. 
Really, it's all about Jesus. He is the object of our witness. And it's interesting as you go through the book of Acts, 39 times we see the word witness. We give witness to the person of Jesus, but we don't do it in our, on our own. We've been given power, supernatural power, nothing less. Why do we need this power? It's interesting, in John 14, 12, Jesus said this, I tell you the truth, anyone who has faith in me will do what I've been doing. He will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. Why do we need this power? You know, if we didn't have this power, this divine empowerment for the task, we could try and imitate what Jesus did, but with his power, he can literally do his work and teach his words through us. I was thinking about that statement, what would Jesus do? For a believer, that may not be totally accurate. Better to say, what is Jesus doing through you and I? Not, not just imitating Jesus, what would Jesus do, but what is Jesus doing through you and I? Uh, I mentioned Russia. I've had the privilege of leading mission teams, uh, eight teams to Russia, a couple to France. They were definitely two different locations. <laughs> um, I say it this way. Uh, I, I liked France for the foods and the ambiance, but the Russian people worked their way into my heart like nothing I had experienced. Uh, they're a sweet people. But, you know, recruiting a team, you know, you start advertising, you put the cost on the trip, you find out what the flight costs and what in-country expenses, and you're putting all that together and you begin to advertise in your church. And it's not uncommon for someone to say to me, don't we have enough need in our own backyard without going overseas to be a witness? It sounds pretty reasonable, doesn't it? I mean, we do have great need here in this country. But when it comes to the commission, God's priority for us is not an either or, but it's a both and. It is both local and global. He wants us to take the gospel next door and also to the ends of the earth. And it's interesting how he says in Acts, uh, beginning in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the world. If you look at the storyline in the book of Acts, you see that is the outline of the book. They begin in Jerusalem, go into Judea. Next thing you know, they're in Samaria. And finally, they're going out to the ends of the world, which at that time, Rome was considered kind of the end or even Spain. I know you as a church take this seriously. I've been on your website. <laughs> you have ministries local. Vision House, the Edmonds and Briar Schools. You have ministries globally. You've been digging wells over in Haiti. I know you've had involvement in the Ukraine and Russia, and I'm sure you're looking at uh, other ministries as well. And I, I love the fact that Brookview and Smoky Point Community are uh, joined together even in a larger group called the Alliance uh, of Churches Across the Nation that deeply care about getting the gospel, especially to unreached people groups. How many know the Jorgensons, Todd and Danielle? 
They've been here, and you'll see more of them because they live close. I, they might attend here more than they do Smoky Point. Uh, it's not a contest. Uh, I'm, <laughs> I'm glad they're coming here. And um, they are sweet people. They're ministering in Cambodia. And uh, the interesting thing is, if you're talking about an unreached people group, uh, how that qualifies as an unreached people group is less than 2% claim to be Christian in that country. When it comes to Cambodia, it's 1.3% claim to be Christian. They are among an unreached people group, and if you know anything about the Cambodians, they're a very underprivileged and neglected people group. I think about another group of people. We have a couple from our church that have been uh, for a few years now over in Papua New Guinea. And they've been, they were sent out, they were with a different mission organization, they were sent out to a tribe called the Kaje tribe, way back, way back in the jungle. And the uh, interesting thing is, you know, to, to really share the gospel with people, you first have to know their language. And if they're going to read the Bible for themselves, they, they need to have written language, and they had none of that. And so that was their first task, to go out there and try and communicate and begin to take notes and what words mean and how do you sound out, how do you pronounce that, and begin to actually build a, a language for the people that could be written. And then what they did was, of course, translate scriptures using that. The cool thing is, years later, now eight villages are educated to read their own language, to read the Bible, and many, many people have come to Jesus as a result of that. It just amazes me. But there you got a people out there that never heard the name of Jesus. Now you have eight villages that now know who Jesus is, and they've heard the God talk. And God is so good in changing lives, which leads me to my third point. God is still on the move, changing hearts through the work of the Spirit and the faithful witness of his followers. And a witness is just basically someone that testifies to what they've seen and heard. It includes your testimony of what Christ has done in your life. And you don't have to wait to be a witness. You don't have to wait to be called to be a passion, uh, pastor or missionary, or you don't have to have a seminary degree. You simply begin where you are, in your Jerusalem, in your neighborhood, in your grocery store, at your work, building relationships and praying and asking God, is this someone that you've been preparing for me to share you with? And I'm convinced there's uh, enough of us in the room, we represent all different areas of society and you go places that I won't ever go. And you meet people that I will never meet. But I believe God is arranging people in your area that he wants you to minister to, to share with. And uh, even making divine appointments. Over the years, it's been so obvious to me that God's been working in mysterious ways by his spirit. Softening hearts and bringing awareness, bringing a sense of spiritual need in the hearts of people. I've had the privilege to be somewhere in line, <laughs> one of the few times I've been in line, um, to be able to, to share something. And sometimes it's just planting a seed, sometimes it's watering, and sometimes I even have the privilege of praying with someone as they invite Jesus to be their leader. Uh, one of the sweetest divine appointments that I'll never forget, I was at another church and a young mom showed up after the Sunday morning service. 
She began to share her story. She had wanted to talk to a pastor and she shared that she had gone to the Pregnancy Resource Center and they had given her a Bible and she began to read that Bible. And she had no, no background in any kind of faith. She shared with, uh, that as she read, something was stirring in her heart. And as she began to describe something that she really couldn't understand, I really sensed the Spirit saying, hey, I'm doing something here. She's recognizing some spiritual need and so I asked her the question, I said, can I share with you the love that God has for you and the plan he has for your life? And I shared the gospel that day and she wholeheartedly gave her life to Jesus. Now I think about the whole process. I found out later that she had a grandmother that had been praying for her. That was part of the process. I think about how God used those at the the resource center that gave her a Bible and she was prompted to read it and how as she began to read it God was doing a mysterious work in her heart and she began to sense a spiritual need and God brought her to the church I was pastoring and notice God didn't bring her to the sermon he brought her after the sermon that's probably significant because <laughs> that could have messed her up <laughs> so cool God does those kinds of things. He's still doing those kinds of things. He's not done. Think of another guy. Met him at the YMCA. His name was Mark. He was a chiropractor. No particular faith background. We became friends and began to get in. I began to introduce some spiritual conversation with him, and he had a certain level of interest. And I said, do you have a Bible? And he goes, no, I don't. I said, I'll get you one. I got him a Bible. And I think the first night that I gave the Bible to him, he read the book of Matthew, the whole thing, that night. Because the next day when I saw him, he goes, man, that's, that's really interesting, but I'm so mad. He goes, who are those Pharisees? <laughs> Pharisees? Yeah. Mark, uh, I eventually got to share the gospel with Mark. He never crossed the line of faith. I would get to that point in the conversation and he'd go, I'm, yeah, I'm just not ready. He ended up moving to Texas. My prayer changed a little bit for Mark at that point. I was praying that God would put somebody in his path because God had allowed me to be in a part of his life planting seeds. You're not a failure if you don't bring someone across the line. You're part of the process that God wants to use. Begin by planting seeds. And water those seeds if you have the opportunity. And God might give you that opportunity to share the gospel. But remember, time belongs to God. And he works in time. And you want people coming along in God's timing, not just yours. Right? God's still on the move, changing hearts through the work of the Spirit and the faithful witness of his followers. Acts 1.9 after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid them from their sight. First glance, I have to think it's amazing what can be stored in the cloud. You can, you can, we can all groan together. Yeah. Now, it's not the first time we've seen clouds in the Scripture. When the children of Israel left Egypt, God guided them by day, by a cloud and a pillar of fire by night. 
We see in Mark chapter 9 on the Mount of Transfiguration, God goes up the mountain with his inner circle, Peter, James, and John. And he's enveloped in a cloud, and the cloud represents the very presence and the very glory of God. And here Jesus is taken up by the very presence of God right before his disciples. And verse 10 says this, They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, Why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way that you have seen him go into heaven. So interesting, this disciples looking intently up into the sky uh, indicates they were expecting him to reappear. So they just stand there. Okay, okay, good. You've, you've gone. And they're standing there expecting that he's going to reappear. I was thinking, you ever sit in a movie theater and the credits start to roll, but you sit there watching the screen? What are you watching for? Outtakes, right? Jackie Chan? <laughs> Jackie Chan movies? Notorious for that. If you haven't seen Jackie Chan, you're going to have to watch one. At least one. No, you're, you're expecting the main actor to reappear with some scenes that didn't make the final cut. And so you're sitting there. You're watching. Other people are leaving, and you're just sitting there eating your popcorn, waiting, you know. They were waiting with expectation, and those two men, obviously angelic messengers, appear. And you could almost take this maybe as somewhat of a reproach, almost like, what are you guys doing standing here looking up, staring into the sky? Are you going to go do what you've been commanded to do? I was thinking it's easy, it's easy for me these days to be staring up into the sky. I've seen things happening in our world, and I think things must be getting close to the end. In fact, it's easy to see what is going on in the world and, and even to think it's hopeless. If that's the way we feel, we're starting to head off mission. There's some mission drift. I easily can begin to think more about protecting myself and bracing myself for what's ahead culturally and insulating myself from the world, but God hasn't called us to do that. If we follow that course, we're going to be on mission drift. There are some followers who believe that when it comes to the return of Christ, it can actually distract us from our mission. And I suppose if if the whole time you're just thinking about the return of Christ and not living in the world, real world and being a witness, I could see that. But I think this, I think a real powerful part of this whole mission is this point right here because Christ is returning. The time to be living as a witness is now. Because Christ is returning, the time to be living as a witness in now is now. And the messengers gave the assurance. He is returning, just like you saw him go. And you think, well, they were personally seeing him go. He's going to return personally. It was sudden, it was unexpected, but it was visible. All those things will be true when Jesus returns again. But here's a really strong point. If Christ is going to return... We have no evidence in Scripture that anybody gets a second chance. In fact, it says it's appointed once unto man to die and after that the judgment. 
there's no second chance. And if there's no more opportunity for salvation for those who don't know Jesus, it creates even a greater urgency to be a witness in this world. There's no greater loss. There's no greater loss than for lost people to be lost for all eternity. Some people would say, well, you know, God's being a little bit slack. He should have returned a long time ago. You know, it tells us in 2 Peter 3, the reason Jesus is waiting, it's his patience. Not willing that any perish, but that all come to repentance. It's an opportunity for salvation as long as today is today. It's a, it's a day of salvation. And there are still people that God is drawing and preparing and desiring to bring into the family. Yes, even a family like Brookview. A collection of flawed people trying to figure out how to live the way of Jesus. Have you heard that before? If not, you got to go to your website. That's where I caught it. <laughs> it's all on the web. <laughs> Google Brookview. <laughs> In the cloud. <laughs> yeah. I resonate with that statement. A collection of flawed people trying to figure out how to live the way of Jesus. I like that. Jesus himself lived with this sense of purpose. He came to seek and save the lost. That was his mission. And he's given you and I the mission. He's given that mission to us, his body, the church. He says, carry on my work. I was thinking of this scripture, and sometimes it confuses me. Matthew 9, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. I thought all workers are sent. So why do we need to pray that God send out workers into his harvest field? Is it because workers aren't moving? Is it because we see ourselves as workers and we know in our heads that this is what God has called us to do, to be his witnesses, but we're not moving into the harvest field. So we should be praying that God move people into the harvest field. Maybe. Maybe I need to pray that God moves my own heart in this matter. Because we're in the family business. We're all stakeholders. Four reminders to help keep us on mission. Know that it's easy to have personal priorities that are not God's priorities. Challenge your priorities. Our mission as witnesses is still God's priority for the church. Hasn't changed one bit. Stay on target. Stay on mission. God's still on the move. Be encouraged. He's still changing hearts through the work of the Spirit and the faithful witnesses, witness of his followers. And it's still a time to harvest. And because Christ is returning, the time to be living as a witness is now. Amen? Amen? Let me pray for us, okay? Lord, thank you so much that you have shared your mission with us. And you have not only just shared your mission, but you have shared your very person with us through the powerful presence of your Holy Spirit who lives within us. Lord, I pray that you would help us to step out on mission. And Lord, help us to just begin simply where we're at. 
Lord, may we go to our places that we frequent with the question, God, who might you be putting in my path today? And Lord, I pray that you would give us all that we need for those relationships, those friendships, those conversations. Lord, help us to stay on task. Help us to keep going on the mission until your return. And Lord, I pray that the kingdom would continue to be built. And so we thank you. I thank you for Brookview and uh, pray that you'd bless them as a body. In Jesus' name, amen.